It's the Questions Hip Hop Podcast. My name is Sean Kantrowitz. I'm your host. And this episode is a classic episode from the archives with friend of the show and legendary hip hop A&R, Dante Ross. This was episode number 14, super early, broadcast on Instagram Live on April 15th of 2020, which feels like another time period at this point. This was very fresh, a very fresh moment in the lockdown. We didn't know what was going on, what we were in for, and despite all of that, you know, we had some really fun times on the questions during this whole block of time. I mean, we always have a good time, but there was sort of this nervous, weird energy that was happening that I'm reminded of when I go back and re-listen to this episode. What can I say about Dante Ross? He's the first hip-hop A&R that stands for artist and repertoire. And for those who don't know, that's basically the job title of the person who scouts, signs, and helps develop artists at a record label. And man, Dante really put his fingerprints on the culture of hip hop music, playing a role in the formative stages for so many iconic acts, uh, including De La Soul, Busta Rhymes, Queen Latifah, KMD, Brand Nubian, Old Dirty Bastard, Del the Funky Homo Sapien, Everlast, and many, many more. This was the first thing that I did with Dante. I later had him on my other podcast, Can't Knock the Shuffle, where we dove into more specifics of some of the songs that he worked on throughout his career. And if you really want an even deeper dive into the life of Dante Ross, you should really check out Open Mike Eagle's third season of his Stony Island audio podcast, What It Happened Was, which is a season-long exploration of Dante's career. Dante is the kind of guy who, quite frankly, warrants this type of discussion and examination. He's got anecdotes and stories and insight for days because... You know, he was actually there for damn near all of it. And he talks about all that and much more in his new memoir that he just published this week. It's called Son of the City. It's over 350 pages long and it's just him talking about his career as an A&R, as a producer. Yeah, he also gets busy behind the boards. He actually earned a Grammy in 1998 for his production work on Carlos Santana's blockbuster album Supernatural. Um, And it just basically depicts what it was like for him growing up in New York at such a pivotal point in the culture of both hip hop and punk rock. It's available now wherever you get books. And I'll go ahead and put a link to it in this episode's show notes. It's funny because he actually talks about the book in the conversation you're about to hear. Obviously, it got pushed back a little bit due to COVID, but I'm so thrilled that it's available now, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what Dante does to promote this book. I know he's got some cool events lined up all over the country already, and there just might be some potential questions crossover for a future book signing or event. It's been discussed. Nothing firmed up, but you know, we'll see what happens. Regardless, I wish Dante all the best and I want to congratulate him on this huge accomplishment. He's always been a big supporter of the questions and again, just such a huge contributor to hip hop. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Hey, if you're in San Jose, California, the questions is coming to your town on June 24th. That's right. June 24th. Mark your calendars. 
because I am going to be at the ESSJ record swap at the School of Arts and Culture. DJ Cutso will be in the building rocking with me as well. And if you know, I mean, you, you must know this, you know if the questions comes to San Jose and you are already aware that you are listening to a show on the Stony Island Audio Network, then you must know that this is without a doubt and officially a collaboration with my guys, the Dad Bod Rap Pod. They will be in the house. Shout out to Damone, AKA Dem One for setting the whole thing up. It's gonna be a fun time and I'll have more details as it draws closer, but mark your calendars now. I'll be sharing more about it soon. I want to give a big shout out to the Questions Patreon for supporting and holding me down. If you want to support the show and also get early access to episodes, bonus content that doesn't make it into the show, playlists, conversations, input on future podcasts, and more, I invite you to join the Questions crew on Patreon for just $5 a month. Go to patreon.com slash the questions hip hop or hit the link in the episode notes i've talked a bunch and now you are in for a treat because this is a classic episode of the questions featuring dante ross who did it first who did it best who did it worse that's the question who rapping there that remix and what happened when? That's the question. Let me ask you a question. Hmm. And if you ain't know what needs, then my guys knowing what you need. Some answers to the questions. I was I was commenting that you are a relic that doesn't really exist in the current age of the music industry in terms of what an A&R actually does. I, I, let me know if I'm like out of pocket here, but I feel not. Like I think you're right. I mean, there's a, a school of A&R guys in, and um, Diddy was certainly one of them, as as was Matty C and Scott Green. If you weren't afraid to get our hands involved in it, um, I think a lot of A&R guys now uh, read research and they go to the studio and they order lunch and they might get high with the groups and that's like what they think doing A&R is and, and uh, that's not what it is in my book so you know there's a lot no, more to absolutely it, not. you know you find the talent when we did it wasn't based on research it was based on knowing what was good and then you want to cultivate the talent um, which involves a lot of things finding the right tracks the right producers managing relationships and, and at times getting in the studio and you know, helping helping make sure the mix is right, and, and you know all that. You know, like for guys like us, I think we we were a little more technically adept than a lot of the new guys. So when there was a lot less ghost producing back then, so there was a lot more to it. I think I think nowadays, in in defense of A and R guys, they um they're handed things more form. The A and R process happens outside of the label nowadays. It happens with the producer, the production company, the artist and his team themselves. So this is a different way of doing it. Yeah, I mean, things evolve, things uh, things definitely change, but you know, I was they, running through- They de-evolve as much as they evolve, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they evolve, they de-evolve. Uh, it's, and it, right now it uh, doesn't even matter because we're, we're all locked inside anyway. So nobody nobody's checking out shows right now. They, there's no A&Rs uh, on the street. Well, I don't think I don't think even going to shows is like part of part of hip hop A and R. So if you're doing rock A and R, you know that band has to be able to play live because it's all about touring to build their base. 
but but I've only signed one group in my entire career because they were good live, and that was leaders at New School. Because so I saw them rock with one microphone, and Buster was was regulating the mic and passing it back and forth, and they all did ad libs for each other's verses while they wrapped off in Pizza President, and and that's the only band I ever saw live before they were anything uh, ever made a record, and I signed them or as interested in them because of that, and then I ended up signing. Them. Amazing, amazing. I mean, yeah, we're honored to have you. You know, we we Jim, when we started up? this. Say it again. I'm just looking at all my friends. Oh, you shout people out, yeah. Cockney, um, Break Me Lou, my big brother, and and my idol. Um, yeah. My man Cosmo Captain Baker. Pete. Yeah, man. Shecky like Green. Shecky, fucking Al Lindstrom. A lot of people I love on here. Amazing. Well, we're so happy to have you. You're definitely, you know, one of the people that, like, when we were first even conceptualizing this game uh, a couple of years ago, as we were doing it in, uh, you know, the Los Angeles area, starting out there first, we were like, this is the type of game that we want to make for people like Dante. We want to we want to make something that, you know, you would uh, enjoy and you, you would have the, the wherewithal to be able to answer, but also maybe challenge you as well. But I don't, that's a bold declaration. We, we're we're, we're going to try our hardest. Yeah, man, you know, like, I, I did a lot of drugs in the 90s, so I don't know if I can remember that much. My damn. Yes, sir. All right. Well, we're going to move on to our first round. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be talking and sort of chatting uh, as we go through all of this. Um, so our first round is called yeah. The Choice is Yours. So this is a general multiple choice. Uh, and we are going to move into our first question. Our first question. Prior to becoming a full-time member of Cypress Hill, Eric Bobo Korea was a member of this group's live band. Was it A, that's the Beastie Boys? That's so easy. Do I even have to, have to go through all the questions? The <laughs> I, mean, I, know, I know what that one is. You do know what it is. Okay, so what is the answer? That's the Beastie Boys. And he was Willie that's Bobo's son. And there was a lot of jokes about that. We're like, because, we're like, you know, I don't know if you know what kicked the Willie Bobo means. That's when he rapped to a girl. So we kicked the Willie Bobo. So it was ill that Eric Bobo was in the Beastie Boys. And I knew him. That's when I first met him in the Beastie Boys. And, and I was like, wow, you guys are not only kicking the Willie Bobo, you're rocking with Eric Bobo. And he's a great uh, guy. Am I correct? Did you do tours with the Beastie Boys? Um, early One early tour, just one, um, to, together forever. Um, and and uh, I went out there with Sean. I was a kid. And. And that's the only one I did, but that was a big one. So we're running them, and, and that's the one I did. And I, and I showed up a couple of times. To their credit, those guys would actually finesse Russell and New York flying me out for a couple of uh, key hangs on the on the first tour, License to Ill. <laughs> that's amazing. Hey, your audio is a little, uh, I think your audio has changed a little bit, and some people are saying they're having trouble hearing you. Yeah. You're having trouble hearing yeah. me now? Yeah, you you sound a little distant. Uh, so I don't know if the Bluetooth is now, now you're talking to the Bluetooth. It, it still is pretty. It's still pretty. Yeah, pretty much the same. It's a little shaky, but. Uh, but maybe I need the dead Bluetooth. What do you think? I think yeah, I think maybe you should lose the Bluetooth. I can turn up on here uh, so you can hear. Um, better now. That's way better. That's way better. Okay. Yeah. Bluetooth is dead. So you were saying you uh you were you did one tour with the Beastie Boys. Yeah. I did one full tour and then key spot dates to uh to cause a ruckus on, on license to ill. <laughs> me me and Eric Hayes came out to LA uh when they did the LA first leg of the tour when Fishbone was still on the tour and um we, we were trying to get them a skateboard deal and we did get them one with vision but the board never came out 
and that was the first thing in the business I ever did, really. And and uh, that was an amazing hang. And Hayes ended up moving here. So Eric Hayes is a key part of of uh, that time period with the Beasties as well. Amazing. My damn. All right, we're going to move on to our second question in this round. Q-Tip was at one time romantically linked to this award-winning actress. Was it Halle Berry, Angela Bassett, Meryl Streep, or Nicole Kidman? I mean, this is too easy because I walked in the, to Nobu next door and they were eating there one time. And I was like, wow, he's really smashing that? Unbelievable. Nicole Kidman. <laughs> Nicole Kidman is correct. We didn't know you'd have the inside scoop. Uh, a lot of people have speculated, and I think you listen to it and it makes sense. His verse on the Come Close remix is kind of about her. It's talking about they're from different worlds. She's from the she's she's from the other side of the world. You know, mm. she's from Australia. I never uh, thought about that. I don't. I, I mean, to be honest, I like I tuned out on Q-Tip and them after like, except for Key Records after after um, Rhymes Beats and Life. I just I wasn't listening. I don't know. Vibrant thing hit hit my radar, but I kind of tuned out a little bit to be honest. I think a lot of people uh, sort of felt a little rubbed the wrong way by that video. Uh, it, you know, it, it was it was slick. It was it was uh, it seemed like he was kind of like doing a bit of a, a course direction change. Yeah. You know? I mean, Tip Tip was always a lot more Diddy than people knew. Right. So you know, he kind of he flexed his Diddy leather pants look. You know, whatever. <laughs> power power to Tip. He's my man. God bless. I just celebrated his fiftieth birthday. Uh, yeah, amazing. All right, we're moving on to our third round. Third round, somebody else that you uh, you may have some connections with. This member of the Hiro crew graduated with a degree in anthropology from Stanford in 1997. Was it A, casual, B, A+, C, Del, or D, Tajay? So he's a, they're all good friends of mine, but but he's a great friend of mine, and, and um, just I talk to him all the time. And it would be Tajay, who's, who's great. And those guys are all great. I love those guys. He says Tajay, and of course he's right. The man knows his stuff. Uh, tell me a little bit, like, uh, you were uh, involved in uh, Dell's first yeah, I, I kinda, life, right? I, yeah, so I kind of unearthed Um And, and it's actually it's a good story. So so I was friends with Ice Cube from, from NWA days, and he uh, kind of watched my career, and I watched his. And, and he was working with Dell. Dell's his cousin. He was like, yo, I got this kid, my, he's my cousin, and, and I think he fits into what you like. And he brought me Dell, and I ended up signing Dell. But along the way to signing Dell, I discovered all the other Hyro guys. So I didn't sign any of the other guys. I, I produced Casual um, and, and Souls. I was gonna sign Souls because they were so amazing. And I didn't sign them because Stretch and Reef worked at Big Beat. And Stretch and Reef are my little brothers. And they wanted to sign Souls. So I was like, here, take the rock. Like, here's, here's the rock, go. And, and I threw him a little dime, but the dime got picked off by Sophia Chang um, and, and a couple other people at Jive, the captain, and, and they ended up signing them. Um, and I always was bummed out because like, I should have signed them and, and I wanted to give it to my, my homeboys, but they didn't get it. And, and I always kind of felt a kind of way about that. Right. But, but I remained super close with those guys forever of all the rap, people I work with, they're some of my best friends, and I had the honor of introducing Domino to the Souls of Mischief. He, I met him in a record store, and we ended up playing each other beats, and, and we had sampled the same Nightlighters record. He became my boy, and I took him to meet Dell, and the rest is history. 
That's amazing. And you guys, you the Stimulated Dummies did production for Casual as well, right? Casual. Yeah, Casual and Dell. And, and a matter of fact, Stretcher sent me. He digitized all, all my um, all my old my my, my big brother who passed away, Gibby, Gibby to Johnny. He passed away December twentieth of of ninety nine. I mean two thousand nineteen. Um, he sent, we found all these tapes he had and he digitized them for us, tapes and dads, and he sent me a couple casual songs I had literally forgotten about that were fire. So I was like going through, well, I was like, Jesus Christ, I forgot the song existed. Oh man, cool. you gotta drop those. I need to, I need to do that. Somebody in the chat just asked if you're gonna be doing a DJ set on Instagram. Uh, I am, <laughs> I tried one out yesterday and, and um, to mix results, so I need to get um, an interface. I'm gonna go buy this rolling thing and 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 a microphone, a couple other things, because I don't want to have step it. Um, so so I kind of talked to Stretch and he gave me the four one one on what I needed to make it sound better. Um, I'm gonna swap out my speakers. I'll start doing them next week. Once I get my mic and my interface, I'll 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 readdress it. And I think I'm gonna do music and then interviews, maybe two separate segments. Yeah, I think those both sound good. Yeah, yeah, we're uh, we're all content creators now. We all are are. We got a lot of free fucking time, man. A lot of free and, time. And forty five master set. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna start off. Um, I'm gonna start off with a, a forty five dance hall set. I think it's the first thing I'll do because I've been listening to a lot of dance hall since the pandemic's been going on, and I don't know, it makes me feel good. That's amazing. I can't wait to see it. Well, you know, we'll all be there when you do it. All right, so we're moving on to the final question in our first round. Leaked audio reveals Old Dirty Bastard allegedly auditioned for the title role in what, have been, in what would have been an unaired 2004 remake of this classic 1950s show. Is it Mr. Ed, Perry Mason, Father Knows Best, or The Lone Ranger? Yeah, you got me on this one. I have no idea. I've never heard about this. This is amazing. I mean, he'd be tremendous in all of these. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Perry Mason, he would be like a defendant if he was on Perry Mason. Um, <laughs> so he can't be on Perry Mason as a title role. Mr. I just sounds so fucking ridiculous that it's incredible. The Lone Ranger um, is the most hip-hop, for reasons unknown, but I'm going to say it's the most hip-hop. Um, sure. I think maybe because he had a mask and there's an Indian dude who's mysterious. Um, my father's no best would just be ridiculous because because Dirty would not know what's best. So I'm just gonna throw uh, I'm gonna throw fucking a blind one. I have no idea what the answer is, but I'm gonna guess Father knows best because it sounds so fucking ridiculous. It would be ridiculous, and it would have been ironic because there was no father to his style. But believe it or not. Old Dirty Bastard allegedly auditioned for the role of Mr. Ed, and I have some audio that I'm going to play for you right Yo, now. Yo, gotta hear this. All right, so I'm gonna turn it up so you can hear it. This is Old Dirty Bastard in an audition tape to play Mr. Ed in a 2004 remake, which never aired. <sighs> You're the boss, Wilbur. A blanket will be nice. I might get a little chilly since you ripped all my hair out. Mr. Ed, let's not get all familiar on the first day. Not Yo, that's incredible. Who 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 had that audio? The audio leaked uh, a few years ago online. A few news outlets picked it up. Um, I I researched it because I saw that there were a few different Mr. Ed remakes that they were trying to do, and at one point in the early aughts, ODB was gunning for that horse role, which. Uh, 
I kind of wish that we could have seen that, but I somehow think it probably wouldn't have been that great at the same time. That is fucking incredible. I mean, wow. Yeah, we were deprived the joys of that. <laughs> uh, you worked with the ODB, and you were yeah. uh, responsible for his signing to Electric. What was and that? If you look behind me, I have a picture from the album that Danny Clinch took right there, and the album's up in my, my man cave. Um, yeah, man, I worked with Dirty on that first record. I signed him. Um, I love the guy. He was incredible. I have a book coming out. It was supposed to come out uh, this summer. The pandemic put a, a little pushback on it. We're shooting for September now uh, with Rare, Rare Bird uh, Books, and it's called Son of the City. He has a whole chapter in it. Um, wow. And he was, but, you know, I've worked with a lot of characters, and it's been said I'm a character myself, but, but uh, Dirty was the biggest character I ever worked with in my entire life, and that's saying a lot. The guy was Unfucking believable! What yeah, what a that, funny guy! I know that they just put out a, a little mini documentary, I believe, on Amazon about the anniversary of the album. I haven't peeped that yet, but uh, yeah, I mean, me and Bobito, and it's cool. It's it's done with a lot of love and care, and you know, one thing about all stuff dirty, I don't like to do anything that's not ordained by by RZA. So I always make sure him and the family are on board with anything. And, and I, I, you know, I, I work with the estate and I helped them do this diamond collab and I plugged them with the Supreme guys and a couple other things. So, you know, much respect to, to Isoline and the family, you know, Young Dirty and, and all of those people. I love Dirty. He was like, honestly, the, the funniest guy who I've ever known. He was, what a trip. And so many crazy things with me and that guy. That's amazing. He's the greatest a person of all time. Yeah, I, I believe you. <laughs> no one is going to question that. <laughs> Somebody says that they're waiting on that book. Dante Ross, is there a book? In your, the in book your is future? coming. It's book Sons is of the coming. City, coming in September. Uh, I just, uh, in the pandemic, I've actually hemmed up on my photo editing and cleared all the photos. So hopefully we make September. The pandemic has slowed us all down. But all the people I worked with are in the book and, and more. So, you know, it, it goes from my growing up in the Lower Side and being in the skateboarding and punk rock and somehow be uh, the beasties ending up in the middle of this hip hop nonsense that has, you know, dominated most of my life for the last 30 years. Amazing. Well, speaking of skateboarding, that's great timing because it's time for the Steve Wonder Stumper. Steve Wonder has submitted this question specifically to stump you. Which skateboarder used the KMD Little Sambo logo in the early 90s? Oh God, I know who did this. I'm gonna take a stab at it and say Javante Turner. The man knows his shit, guys. Javante Turner is correct. JT's my man, so you know a funny thing, like, so it's great that he I, I knew it was him. I saw someone talk about it not that long ago. So JT uh, if you know anything about skateboarding, he's one of the most stylish skaters of his day. He's a San Francisco cat in Barcadero, and he was uh, he's a black dude, obviously. Um, and, and he was good friends with Dell. So mm. I knew I knew Mike Carroll's brother, Greg, and I knew Mike a little, and um, JT had the early high road demos, and he was skating to them, Adam Barcadero, and all those guys got really in the high road, and that's why all those high road songs were in the old... Um, the old plan B, Mike Carroll scene and Burt's in one of those videos and JT skates to one of them. And, and yeah. that's kind of one of the first times skateboarding other than the Beastie Boys, um, skateboarding hip hop became kind of a thing together. 
and all those guys were at the old Hyro shows in SF. We'd look out, you know, we'd be on stage or whatever, looking out and at Adele's show and it'd be like Mike Carroll and Javante and Mike York and all those cats. Um, those guys are, are still my friends to this day. So, you know, much respect. Skateboarding and, and hip-hop, for me, always went hand in hand. We're from New York, so when hip-hop became the dominant music we listened to in, in like, 85, about 86, Run DMC era, we all skated to, to hip-hop. Um, you know, so that was our, our thing. And, and I think that became everyone's thing eventually. But New York, that's what we all skated with. And, and skaters were always black, white, Puerto Rican, all different nationalities. There's never a white boy punk rock thing in New York. Like after like 86, that was kind of dead. Sure. Yeah. And like you said, just such a huge, it became such a huge platform for so many artists to build fan bases that like maybe weren't necessarily going to be up on that stuff. But like, that's why you would have, you know, such a huge contingent of skateboarders and skateboard, you know, fans at Hyro shows. And then, you know, like, they all go to Hyro shows because of those videos. Amazing. All right, we're moving on to our second round. If you're just now joining us, we have the legend Dante Ross in the house. Yes, sir. And uh, our second round is called Picasso Baby. So what it is that we do in this round is we're going to show you a small clip of an album cover, and you have to identify what it is by the limited uh, viewpoint that you have. That's why so, I wore my glasses. Yes, excellent. See. We do advise all of our contestants to wear their glasses. This one, I saw this other day. It just stumped me a couple of times. I was not good at this round. Okay, so he's admitting a bit of a handicap here, but we'll see how he does. Uh, I think that he's maybe being modest, because let's be real, folks, we got Dante fucking Ross in the house. Yeah, I got to give All a right, shout-out so. to my big bro, Dominic, on here, though. Dominic Chinesi Jr., is, he's, he's my man since the 80s. He scooped me up out of the gutter on the Lower East Side and, and uh, <laughs> winged, winged me around everywhere. It's my man. So I just I saw he's on here. I got to give Dom a, a shout-out, because I love Dom. Shout him out, yeah. All right, so we're moving on to our first question in this round. What album cover is this? It appears to be at least two guys. We can only see their legs and part of their arms, and they're leaning on the hood of a white car with a green forest-like background behind them. Is it Eric B. and Rakim, Follow the Leader, EPMD, Unfinished Business, JVC Force, Doing Damage, or Jungle Brothers, Straight Out the Jungle? I'm going to say EPMD, Unfinished Business. They like cars. They do like cars. But I'm wrong. But you are wrong. That is JVC Force. So, you know, that album, I don't know if I have that album. I have the singles. I don't know if I have that album. All right. It's all good. You know, we everybody has their blind spots. We can't listen to everything, you know. And I didn't, and I, I'm looking at everyone giving the answers on the bottom now. Yeah. Where are you guys when they's asking the question? Yeah, what the fuck, guys? Where's what the, the fuck? Code, fellas? Yeah, jeez. Well, we're going to move on from that. Maybe if you guys can step it up and help your boy Dante out, uh, we won't be in this predicament. Yeah. All right. Moving on to the second one. What album cover is this? It's a close-up of the bottom half of a black man with sort of a pencil mustache and tightly groomed beard, and he's got his finger over his mouth like he's saying, shh. Is it Ice Cube, Laugh Now, Cry Later? Snoop Dogg, The Game Is To Be Sold, Not To Be Told. Sean Price, Jesus Price Superstar, or Common, Nobody's Smiling. Mm. You're doing some facial recognition analysis. Yeah, yeah, so so I got, it's, it's to me, either Sean Price or Q. Um, and Sean Price kind of had a fatter face. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, um, 
I'm gonna see. I'm getting mixed response on the bottom. You got. I mean, you can use you can use the chat. People use the chat sometimes, so we don't we don't frown. I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna go with my gut, and I'm gonna say Sean Price. He says Sean Price. Good thing he went with that gut, because that is absolutely correct. Sean Price. Yes, I love Sean Price. That was the funniest dude ever. I once wanted him to do a, a feature for me on a record. And I yeah. sent him, I, he said, all right, so send me the money. I sent him the money and the song, and he sent me the money back. And he, he that was his way of saying, I'm, I don't like the song. He's like, you'll be able to send that back. Hey, I mean, he was a funny dude, and uh, he was definitely opinionated. So I, you know, I definitely that doesn't sound out of character for him. He was, he was to me the, you know, like in in the underground moment in time that he lived in, the best rapper of that of that moment. Jesus Christ Superstars and, and Monkey Bars were were unbelievable. I thought he's just one of the funniest and the coolest cats ever. Absolutely. And sort of, uh, you don't see a lot of second act, uh, you know, hip hop artists, almost similar to like MF Doom, who, you know, like had a career in a group and then kind of rebranded and reintroduced himself and had a whole other stretch. And like people who were with him in the beginning, they were feeling it. And then there were people who didn't even know about, you know, or they might not have been as up on the first chapters of his career. Well, he was one of the only rappers who got better. Right. Like, you know, most, most rappers don't get better as they make more music. He got better. Yeah, absolutely. Which is, which is rare. Yeah, yeah, you don't see that too often. Um, maybe a little bit more now as, as careers are going longer, but uh, yeah. You know, Talim, um, ODB was funnier than Sean Price because I knew him more, had more close interactions with him. So so I got to see him be funnier. Got it. You, you had direct access to the funny, is what you're saying. Absolutely. All right, we're going to move on to the final uh, question in this round. It's a man wearing a red leather jacket and sunglasses standing in front of an apartment building which has a line of glowing yellow windows shining behind him. This is clearly a shot that was taken at night. What album cover is this? Is it Dred Scott, Breaking Combs, DJ Quick, Quick is the Name, Poor Righteous Teachers, Holy Intellect, or Special Ed, Youngest in Charge? Um, so I've never seen a Dred Scott record, so so I couldn't tell you. So he's off the list. All right. Definitely not DJ Quinn. Um, and I'm going to go for, it looks like Ed to me, but I remember Ed had his leg up, and we used to think he had one leg when the record came out. So I don't know if that's Ed or not, but I'm going to just roll the dice. Let me think. Uh, I'm, I'm, um, I'm going PRT because I don't see the one leg. He's going PRT. He's not getting that leg recognition that he was looking for. And it's a good thing because that is the correct answer. Going with the gut. I love that, man. I, lo I don't want to look at the, the comments. It's cheating. I don't want yeah, to cheat. No. I, want to, I want to get this on my own merits. We had mad skills on one of our earlier shows, and he did a complete 90 degree. He wouldn't look at the screen at all. He was, he was committing to it. And then there's others who have, uh, you know, they've leaned into it. And sometimes the crowd... Uh, the chat steers them wrong too. So Plus, yeah. I looked. I looked when it was Ice Cube with Sean P. and and Happy Schmucks told me Ice Cube. So I'm not. I'm not trusting you. You can't trust schmucks, as we've learned throughout our current. Schmuck uh, is a great uh, word. Is any rapper of you schmuck in a, in a rap? No, I don't think it's necessarily in the vernacular of a lot of rappers, but it is a great word. It just rolls off the tongue. It kind of like combines the fierceness of fuck and shit. You know, it's like a schmuck and like a little M thrown in there. It's, it's, a, it's a masterful, I mean, Yiddish is, 
and innately funny language. I think more hip hop, I think more rappers should embrace Yiddish. If you're just now joining us, Dante Ross and I are discussing the merits of using Yiddish in raps. Uh, could that be a trend in 2021? We'll see. Stay tuned. We'll find out. Someone said Bronson. Bronson would say schmuck. I would say Bronson or the Beastie Boys are the only rappers who would say schmuck. Absolutely. I'm sensing a theme here. All right, we're going to move on to the third round. And the third round is called Digging in the Crates. Uh -oh. These are now worth 15 points, and these are all about samples. So I'm going to ask you a question, then play the sample, and then you can answer. So this is all about samples. All right. We're moving on. Man, the, the chat is going nuts about schmucks. Maybe we started schmucks the schmuck jump up to get beat down. That's a good one. <laughs> schmucks jump up to get beat down. Uh, Wu-Tang Clan ain't nothing to schmuck with, perhaps. Not as, not as fitting, but all right. Um, all right, we're moving on to our first question. This artist's 1982 disco single was interpolated by De La Soul on their song, Four More. I'm going to play you that song. Is it Gwen Guthrie, Candy Stad, Barbara Mason, or Sharon Red? Sharon Red. He says Sharon Red without hesitation because he knows his records. That is correct. I mean, that's a great record, you know, and I love disco, and that's like, that's like as New York as it gets right there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, like, you, uh, people don't know the cheat code to, to a lot of, like, classic New York hip-hop is, is gay black disco. So, yeah. you know, it's like, it's fucked up as, as it is, but like, you know, those are all like garage records and, and that's a cheat code because disco is the backbone of a lot of foundational rap and it's those dance records from the early 80s that a lot of people sampled. And, you know, it's like all that Paradise Garage, Gwen Guthrie, you know, Sharon Red, Barbara Mason, all those, Vaughn Mason, all those kind of records, you know, Expansions by Lonnie Liston Smith. Those are all dance records. Yeah, absolutely. Now, speaking of De La, I think for a lot of people, De La kind of puts you on the map in a lyrical sense. In that, like, by you, they snapping were, on me. By snapping on you. Do you get called, like, have you embraced the, the scrub or like... I mean, it's like, it depends who it's coming from. If it's like, I never met you and that's the first thing that comes out of your mouth, uh, guys call me that, that's fine. Like, you know, I don't care if Quest calls me other people with my people. It's cool. Yeah. I think it's funny. All right. I definitely did get a haircut by them, though, just so you know. <laughs> and Prince Will had dandruff. And years later, you'd be cutting your own hair. So, I mean, it's... I mean, well, you know, it's like, what's there? You know what I mean? <laughs> Check it, you feel my panty, right? Yeah, we're going to have a, uh, a a hair loss support group a little bit later after <laughs> this. Um, stick around for the after show. All right, we're moving on to the second question in this round. We're going a little more modern with this one. Lil Nas X's viral smash, Old Town Road, contains a sample by this artist whose career first took flight in the 90s. I'm going to play you the Lil Nas X song, which maybe you've never heard before. Um, is it Brad Paisley, Sugar Ray, Garth Brooks, or Nine Inch Nails? I'm having a little trouble hearing the sample. I'm going to play it again. It's the Lil Nas song. So that is a sample. He's going nine inch nails. And he's absolutely right. This is the original. Pretty much the whole beat. Uh, this it's song the whole thing. actually. 
actually provided uh, Nine Inch Nails for their first like chart topping hit. I believe it was their first song on the pop charts ever. They were more like an alternative rock uh, slate. But yeah. I'm going to tell you a little Nas X story. So Please do. I was working at Asylum, and, and I wanted to sign them. And we could have closed the deal for $275,000, and my boss at the time declined to do it and said it was a novelty record. And we didn't sign them, and they ended up pulling down a $5 million advance from Columbia. And I could have had the deal. I flew, I flew to Atlanta. I met him. Um, I came back saying, I think he's gay, but and I don't think he ever will have another hit, but this record is going to go. It was researching forever, and, and I tried to grab him. I couldn't get it. And I left the company, and she's still there. Wow. I yes. mean, I imagine you've had a lot of hits and scores, but I imagine just as a numbers game, there's got to be other artists that either got away or it didn't work out or at the time. Like, there is. Just... You know, unfortunately, I think you get – I got questioned more as I get older and, and um, you know, latter part of my career than I did in the early part of my career. I mean, Megan Thee Stallion was another one I wanted to sign, and every kid told me she was corny, all the kids who worked with me, all the young kids who said it was trash. And, I, yeah, I did try to sign Little Nas X, and I'll explain why. For me – I signed Ugly God, I signed Little Dicky, I signed Made in Tokyo. I, I, have to, I have to play by the rules that exist nowadays. I have to look at research and look at what the kids like because the likelihood of finding Kendrick Lamar, uh, that's like a needle in a haystack. Good luck with that. If you can find them, amazing. Um, power to you. But, but you look at rap and J. Cole and, and, um, J. Cole and a couple other people like, you know, Anderson Park and, and Kendrick, schoolboy maybe, you know, a couple other things like that. Nobody fucking, you know, that, that's the minority of rap. That's like 5% of rap, though it's the biggest and the best. It is, it is by far the, the minority in rap. It's not based on talent. It's based on everything else. So yeah. pure rap and talent doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And then sometimes, you know, like, I, I'm not necessarily the hugest fan personally, but like, I think Little Dicky can rap. You he know what I mean? Like, ass off. Yeah. He's a superstar. Like, Little Dicky had what, and this sounds so crazy, but had what old Dirty Bastard had. He understood himself as an artist emphatically. He knows exactly who he is and how he wants to be perceived, just like Dirty did. They're very different artists, but they both had that thing, that self-awareness. Yeah, I totally understand that. All right, so we're going to move on to... The final question in our sample round, uh, you've, been, you've been cleaning up and doing quite well thus far. So this is our final one. This artist was the first to sample Sister Nancy's Bomb Bomb. Was it A, Too Short, B, Pete Rock and CL Smooth, C, Gangstar, or D, Main Source? So I'm gonna play you the sample, and then you have to identify who was the first to use it. So here's the sample. I mean, it's one of my favorite songs. And, and I hope I'm right, because he performed it on my birthday last year, or the year before last, and it's main source, and, and Paul's my man. And, and he did the song for me, because I always tell him that's my favorite song by main source. I'd be like, yo, I, you know, because I love dance hall. I signed Barris Hammond. But I just... I love dance hall. My man Pete is out here, and Pete knows because I really fuck with um with all the yard shit forever. That's just part of New York. If you lived in New York, went to high school in New York in the 80s, you lived in Brooklyn. I went to Brooklyn Tech High School, 
you know, being aware and, and loving dance hall is just part of New York. That's part of our DNA. Absolutely. And he is correct. Main source was the first to sample. P-Rock hit it too. P-Rock hit it dope too, but, but Paul, got, Paul got it first. That's right. And Too Short also sampled it. I don't think Gangstar actually sampled it. I think we I never heard Too Short's version of it, but I, but I, as odd as it sounds, I love Too Short. Too Short is funny as fuck. He's dope. I actually have Too Short's queued up here. Let me see if I can find it. What's the name of that song? Because I need to go check it out later. Uh, Blowjob Betty. Oh, that's Blow Jump Betty. I know that song. Okay. That's when you play with the family. Yes. Well, yeah, we threw that one in here because we're still on relatively early on the West Coast. You know, this is like a dinner time show as you're sitting with your kids. You've been locked in your house with all day. Play them a little too short. Blow Jump Betty when you're sitting around the house with the kids. Why not? Why not? <laughs> There's we're, we're we're living in the new paradigm right now. We're we're in the, we're the quarantine zone. It, the rules don't apply anymore. All right. So Dante, you've done quite well. Uh, not only just in the answers, the stories as well. And we have our final round that is now. Upon oh, shit. Us. So what we do in the final round is I present you with three options. I'm going to give you three categories, and you pick the category that you want to take. You're going to have 90 seconds to answer five questions that increase in difficulty. So okay. I'll let you know what your categories are and you can pick first. The first category is rock bands. This is related to hip hop, but it's rock bands. The second category is song covers. And the third category is the many aliases of MF Doom. So you pick your poison here. I'm going rock bands. He's going rock bands, folks. All right. I'm going to so keep, keep a real, real white boy. I'm going rock bands. Hey, lean into it. Lean with it. Rock with it. Uh, it's been working out well for me. I've been leaning into the white thing for a long time. Uh, like we have great. a choice. Yeah, no, there's no choice. I mean, you're, you're playing yourself if you're not being true to who you are. Um, I mean, so, it's funny. When I was younger, people used to think I was Puerto Rican all the time. But as I got older, uh, that's I got way more Jewish. Yeah. It happens. Uh, I went through a very intense period in the last few years where people would stop me on the street and think I was logic. Um, yo, yo, that's so crazy. That's great. I actually had a guy stop me once drunk downtown and insist that I take a picture with him after I repeatedly said, I'm not logic. And he was like, come on, bro, please. I'm such a big fan. So I did. Uh, yo, does anyone know one logic song? Uh, I know that he made a song about not killing Suicide. yourself. Suicide. That's, that's the only one I know. Yeah. Whatever. I, I heard I, think, I want to kill myself. <laughs> I think part of the problem, too, is that he named it after the name of the number you can dial, which is, like, a smart idea, but I don't remember the number. I, I don't know if it's, – it's, it's a little cutty, you know? Yeah, he's not my cup of tea. Respect um, the logic, though. Whatever. Respect to him. We appreciate him. All right, so – we are moving into the final round. So you're going rock bands. I have OC's time's up here. I have timed it to 90 seconds. So when the time is up on an OC, your time is up. If you don't know, you can skip and come back to it. And uh, of course, you can rely on these schmucks in the chat, but I don't know if it's the <laughs> best idea. All right, are you ready, sir? Go. All right. Am I ready, sir? All right, here we go. Mm -hmm. 
for 10 points. Ice-T fronted this heavy metal band whose biggest song was Cop Killer. Body Count. That is correct. For 20 points, House of Pain's DJ Lethal later joined this rap rock band. Limp Biscuit. That is correct. For 30 points, this Beastie Boys single featured a guitar solo by Kerry King from the metal band Slayer. Oh, uh, No Sleep to Brooklyn. That is correct. For 40 points, Blur frontman Damon Albarn tapped this rapper to collaborate on the Gorillaz' debut single, Clint Eastwood. Dell. That is correct. And for 50 points, rock band Incubus asked the DJs from this hip hop group to scratch on a song from their 1999 album, Make Yourself. Ooh, that I might not know. It's mm. a group, they had DJs, and they were on an Incubus album in 1999. Uh, do I have to name the group or the DJ? You have to name the group that the DJs were in. I'm gonna say Jurassic Five. Jurassic Five is correct. Dante Ross, with just a little bit to spare, you are a champion. Flawless execution on the final round. Not that we didn't expect any less from the legend himself. Thank you. Man, Dante, uh, this is the moment in the show where I do a little quick mental math to tally up your score. Uh, let the people know, uh, I mean, you have the book coming up. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about the book. There was something that you started before all of this. Yeah, I started uh, the, like um, I started the book a long ass time ago. I was gonna write it with my dad, and my dad passed. My dad's a writer, um, okay. and then one of his friends told me I should I should pick the book back up. So I did, and I've been working on it on and off for fucking forever, at least five years. Um, but but I finally finished it, and I want you know I've done the red line edits. It's three hundred and forty pages, and it's about growing up in New York and the 70s on the Lower East Side and the 80s and, you know, my life's journey, which is all always goes back to music. So Amazing. I can't wait to check it. I mean, you are a source of so much cool stories. Uh, you've been there for all of it. Nobody has a bad word to say. Nobody that I've encountered has a bad word to say about you. I there's mean, a couple there's, guys. There's some people got some bad words to say. About there, there's you, no way you haven't really rubbed somebody the wrong way at some point. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I always say to everybody, uh, yo, my school driver would be terrible. People say I'm terrible at parking. That's one thing. But, but um, besides that, um, so, yeah, I always say this to everyone. No one who's ever been successful in the music business doesn't have some people who don't like them. You don't get to be successful in the music business or entertainment by being everyone in the whole world's friend. It's just, it's impossible. There are times you gotta be a jerk. Or not yeah. a jerk, but you have to do things that people are not gonna be in agreement with. That's life. Makes sense. Uh, Dante, now that you've played the game, who do you think we should have on the show that like you would challenge? Stretch Armstrong. Stretch Armstrong. Be amazing. He, he knows everything. He knows more than me. Um, he, he definitely is a candidate. I mean, you know who would be ill because he's funny and he knows a lot? Um, Sadat X. Woo! He'd be Sorry, good. He got good jokes, too. We, we um, didn't even do any brand Nubian stories. Good. Yeah, that, that's Yeah, he's joke. ill. He's just a funny-ass dude. Um, who else would be good? Domino from Hyrule would be good. Yeah. You know, he That'd knows a lot. He's funny, too. Yeah, well, we're continuing to build this and grow this. You know, we're on Instagram now. Yo, shout-out to John Gamble. Gamble's on here. My SD50 partner. SD50. Man, uh, th this is like a, a cutty reference, but man, like, 
when I, I was, you know, still in like, maybe like high school when that uh, Everlast album came out. And I was just like, speaking of rock bands and all this, I just was like so blown away by like the hybrid style of that. And I learned later, I didn't realize that you were involved in that. I wasn't really checking the liner notes at the time. And that was like- Yeah, I, I produced it. Me and Gamble produced the record and, you know, I, I had the, the honor to write a couple of things on there with them. And, and yeah, I mean, that was, we did that thing. Um, Automator would be good on there too. Good one, Benny. Um, yeah, and we we, you know, man, we were all in a place where we had nothing to, to lose and everything to gain. And me and John packed up our fucking studio, the Twelve Greats of Records, and and went out to L.A. We thought it'd be there for like three months. We were there for like a year. Eric had a heart attack at the end of the fucking record. Right. All this wild shit happened, and it came out, and it was a flop for, at first, and ended up being a big hit record. It was a number one single. What it's like, and. You know, it was, it was it changed our lives. And helped me another amazing. Out, that's so. another guy with a second act. That that's that's a guy who totally had a second. One act. of the best ever, and amazing. and you know one of the best dudes ever. And my brother for life. We had that that moment in life was so defining for for all three of us. And you know, John wrote Shotgun. John doesn't get a lot of props. John Gamble. People don't really know a lot about him, but he's one of the most talented people I've ever seen in the studio. He's a tremendous engineer and just you know my brother for life. One of my favorite people of all time. So Dante, tonight you scored 230 points, which put which puts you, I believe, in our top three or four. You're definitely on the leaderboard, high up. I think it's who, who point, else did good? Matt Skills probably. Uh, Skills did well. We had Je. Uh, he did very well. The producer yeah, yeah. from St. Louis. Um, I believe we also had um, a high score from Scratch Bastard. He did quite well. Of course, that uh, makes sense. Yeah, we're, we're, we're tallying it up. I think we're going to have to at some point, especially as we figure out, uh, DJ Trackstar as well from Run the Jewels, he, um, he, he did well. So I think at some point we are going to have to have like a, a tournament of champions. We have a question from the chat here. Do you feel that the Museum of Graffiti should have been in New York rather than in Miami? Um, it would be cool to be in New York, but I think economics put in Miami and my man Kent runs it. And, and whether it's in New York or Miami, it's a wonderful thing to have. And much respect to Kent. For, for doing it. And, and one thing I always say is like, we can all have our opinions about things, but like, that's great. We all got opinions just like an asshole. It's about doing it. And you can never fault a man for doing it. You don't like someone's book, go write your own. You know, so that's, that's how I feel about things like that. And um, that thing's great. I, I've yet to be to it. I didn't go this year. I was, I was going to Miami for her. For fucking Art Basel, and I missed my flight, and I got to the airport with my bag of forty fives, and it was like eight hours to the next flight. I was like, you know, I'm going home. Fuck it. Uh, I hate you for that. <laughs> um, well, yeah, yeah. Merce was there somebody else. Yeah, we we had Merce on the show. Uh, Blue Pink. Uh, yeah, he he scored pretty well too. Um, you know, I never listened to Merce's song in my life. I think he's good. I heard he can rap. I just never. I don't know any of them. He's definitely got a deep catalog, yeah. For someone who, I know a lot about hip-hop, but I slept on a whole segment of music for a long time, and I kind of like, I don't know, man. I miss some, I miss some, there's holes in my, in my knowledge. Absolutely. I know all about Jay-Z. I was in Jay-Z world then. <laughs> all right, yeah. But there was almost sort of like a choosing the side of the, of the road at that point, too. You know, there was, and I just felt like Jay-Z rapped better than all the underground rappers, so I listened to Jay-Z more. Yeah. Hey, nobody's attacking you, Dante. We're, we're all on your side here. Um, so listen, so glad that we finally got you. Uh, to yeah, we, we've been talking about, you know, having you come out to a live one. And, uh, you know, this is the next best thing. And once we're all back out of the bunkers, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be doing more in the future. And 
you know, hope you're staying safe. And uh, thank you well, again so much for joining us. That uh, was great. And um, when you have the Tournament of Ch Champions, let me know. I'm, I'm down to, to pop in that thing. I'd love to, to battle Trackstar who's on here. He knows, he knows a lot. He's one of my favorite dudes on Twitter. He always got funny shit to say. Anti-backpack, maybe, Shaq, a little bit. I was a little, little anti-backpack, I think. Yeah, yeah, it happens. And somebody else pointed out, you know, we all have our blind spots, too, so it's all good. Um, wait, I have another question from the audience. People, if you got to go, we'll let you go. But people, no, I'm here. This is fun, man. I, where do I got to go? Really, what are we doing? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I know you told me you have a lot of meetings, and you. I got to go to the solo in. house right now. <laughs> all right. Somebody says, "Do you think a Prince Paul versus Madlib would be a good IG battle?" Yeah, I think it'd be cool. I mean, Prince Paul's, you know, that's my brother. I, I think he's he's great. You know, I think it'd be good. Madlib makes a lot of dope shit. Um, I only know a smidgen of his catalog. I know the stuff he did with with Dilla and the stuff he did with, with Doom and, and the Loop Pack, um, a big Loop Pack band over here. And, and I know something we did with Gibbs. I think there's a big hole in my knowledge of, of Mad Lib music. Because you hate all that underground shit. Because you hate I don't hate any of it. I just didn't listen to this, you know, my, my head is somewhere else. So, so I don't know. What did my you, head was up my ass. So I don't know. <laughs> what did you think of the RZA premiere battle that happened last week? I thought it was great. I thought that um, RZA needed better audio. Yes. Um, I like I like his gloves. They were interesting. Um, Primo didn't curate his playlist as well as he should have. He he could he took his foot off the gas. He had he could have. I think, I think he was feeling a little. I think he was feeling for Rizzo because he saw the audio problems he was having. He was like, well, I don't want to like I don't want to kick him while he's down. So I think he softballed a little bit. Am I think I... he knew he could he could just stop him and he didn't because he didn't play full clip, take a personal superstar. There was like. Three or four just knockout punches. So I thought that that was, you know, that was cool. But but also, the main the main question I have is, why was Rooster dressed like Andrew Dice Clay? Uh, it's in the Wu Tang manual. You need a Wu Tang decoder ring to figure that out. He, we, yeah, I like the Dion Warwick shirt. So that that Primo wore. So I thought stylistically the battle was as interesting as musically. If you're just tuning in, Dante Ross is breaking down the style components of the recent RZA and DJ Premier battle. Uh, this is the scoop that we're all waiting to get. We have a question from Steve Wonder. Puba 360 or Brand Nubian in God We Trust? Um, unpopular opinion, but I'm going with In God We Trust. All right. What do you think? What do you think? I mean, uh, I... I can see merits in both, but what's what's your reasoning? Like, what why why would you say that that like kind of takes the edge for you? Two reasons. Pooba's expectations were much bigger, so Pooba should have made his blueprint. He sure. didn't. He made a a three point five to me, maybe a four. And Brand Nubian's record was equal, I think, but they had lower expectations. So because of that. I, um, I think that I like that record better, and and mainly because "Punk Show Up to Get Beat Down" is the best song, one of the best songs in the entire catalog between all of those guys. And that single to me was better than what goes around, um, you know, three sixty to me. But but you know, they're both really good records. I'm proud that I've worked on both of them. I worked hands on producing part of three sixty. Um, Real to Real is the album, so so that I like, but. You know, that was cool to do. I just think that Brand Nubian had, had more to prove and prove more. 
And what a lot of people don't know as well about Punk's Get Up to uh, Jump Up to Get Beat Down is that it was the predecessor to the hit single Schmucks Jump Out to Get Beat Down. <laughs> hey. Um, what what people have... don't know is that the hit version is a remix. So the other oh, version yeah. was really the original version, but Diamond, they, Diamond did both versions, and they were like, Lord Jamar was like, yo, I think I like this other one that Diamond did better. And I was like, yeah, the one with the, the Lou Donaldson, we should, that's the one. And we decided as collectively to put that out, unbeknownst to Diamond, and that became the hit. Wow, amazing. We have a couple more questions that are coming in. Let's see if we can get these up here. Uh, this one is uh, not on the music tip. L.A. Street Tacos versus New York Pizza. What takes the title for Dante? I mean, I'm, I'm a pizza guy, so, you know, I'm from New York. I like pizza, e even though it's high in carbs. I still like pizza, so, so I'm going pizza. Though, sure. You know, I don't eat a lot of street tacos, like, I mean, I do, but but I don't eat them off the streets. Oh, are they really street tacos? Ah, it's it's a very rhetorical question. Uh, but that's what we do here at the questions. We ask the hard questions. Uh, all right, let's see what else we got. Is Eminem a guest in hip hop, or is Jamar out of line? Let's talk about your boy Lord Jamar. What's um, that's his opinion, um, and and M seemed to say that he was a guest in the house of hip hop, um, and so. I agree with it, but I'm going to quit while I agree with it. Rap music, sure. hip hop is black art form. Absolutely. So all of us who are not men of color are privileged to be accepted into the house of hip hop, to participate in the art form. And for that, I agree with him. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's how I, I look at it. Like, I've always thought that I'm very lucky to be able to see things that most people who are not men of color get to see and women of color that have been able to be in places and participate in things that, that are usually elusive and or close to, to white people. So, yeah. so I do understand what he's saying, but I also think that Eminem, myself, DJ Muggs, Alchemist, LP, and a plethora of people I'm forgetting have more than earned our right to, to be a part of this culture. Um, Absolutely, still a guest, but but still but still a a, a member. You 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 can come in and you can sit down, but wipe I mean, your feet. I, I, we did the work. We earned our stripes, right? So Absolutely. you know, you, you can't take that away from us. But but once again, like, look, man, hip hop is is black music. It's a black art form, and I the BCs, of course, that goes without saying. Um, but but that, you know, I'm I'm privileged to participate and be part of it, and by no means will I ever say other than that. You know, it's um, you know, it's a it's an honor. And like, look, man, I I've never had really any hassles for being white in the world that I live in and work in. And and maybe it's because people know me or people respect me, but but I've never had any of that bullshit that you would think comes along with it. Um, and I think you know part of that is because the way I I, I handle myself, the way I I walk my walk. Um, you know, I'm respectful to, to people and, and I never was a super duper wigger. And I think that, that when you see the guy who does that, who shows out too hard, I think that black people innately get a little offended by it. So by being myself and being true to who I am and what I love and believe in and respectful, I think I've never had those problems. Authenticity matters. Yes. Okay. We have, uh, we have some more questions again. If you got to go, let me know, but we no, nah, I'm here, okay. man. Let's do it. It's just All right. Uh, let's see. What else do we got here? Any stories from the BC Boys Murphy's Law uh, from around the time they toured? Yo, this one's great. It's definitely not in my book. Ooh, you know what? This little impromptu Q&A that took place after the game, this went on for quite a long time, and there are some excellent 
and hilarious stories, remarks, and conversations that happen. And the only place to hear the rest of it is going to be on The Questions Patreon. So hop on over to patreon.com slash thequestionshiphop to hear the rest. I told you there were perks to being in the Patreon, right? Big shout out to Dante Ross. Everybody go out and cop his new book, Son of the City. And I will see you next week with a brand new episode. Peace. Stony Island Audio.